0: Father, we thank you right now that you, in spite of what it looks like, are in control of all things. We want to commit this world, this nation, uh, these nations to you right now. We do pray, Lord, for your good and perfect will. We ask for the salvation of souls, that people might come to faith in Yeshua the Messiah, the answer to life. We ask, Lord, for peace in our hearts. We do pray also for the protection of Israel. And our Jewish people worldwide, as we hear of Jewish people leaving Europe again, leaving countries, and frightening to think that it could happen again. So we pray for our people's protection and, even more importantly, uh, the spiritual salvation of Jewish people throughout the world. We commit them to you, Lord. We ask for our wisdom for our leaders here in America, that we might side with and support and stand by the nation of Israel as you've promised in Genesis. I will bless those who bless your people. So we pray that we might be a faithful nation standing by Israel. We commit that to you. We pray for our children and all of us as today we listen to the word of God. We ask, Father, that your spirit would touch our hearts, that we would hear the voice of God today as we sit here, as we preach, as we dance, as we sing. Lord, we desire to hear from you. We need your touch. We need to hear from you. So we ask your blessings upon our children and all of us right now. We ask your blessings for Shuvah Yisrael. We do pray for these offerings as we give, Lord. May you continue to bless your work here at Shuvah Yisrael. Further your purposes and plans. May we reach out, Lord, to a lost world from a little little section in, in Southern California. We thank you for this day, Lord, and ask your blessings upon it. For we ask it all in Yeshua's name. Amen. Okay, I'll ask for the children and the teachers, the youth, the seniors, everyone to be dismissed to their classes. And if you have bulletins, open them up, take out your outline. Take out your outlines. We are at a special, special time of the year. It's always exciting, always exciting when you get to September. Always exciting. Just to give you a foretaste, no one will remember. But next year, everything is moved earlier. Everything is earlier next year. Everything. Rosh Hashanah will be during Labor Day weekend. Hanukkah will be with your turkey drumsticks and your stuffing. Hanukkah, it's the earliest I've ever seen. Next year, Hanukkah. Not this year, don't quote me. Next year, 13th the second night of Hanukkah, we will be having latkes during Thanksgiving. Anyway, so everything's early next year. This year, okay, special time. We always, Fran was telling me this week, she, you know, is really excited about uh, the fall. She just loves it in California. I said, you forget? She goes, no, I love the fall in California. I said, you forget the fall in the East Coast. She goes, "Oh, I love it here." I said, "Yeah, you forget, because the fall is always a good time. It's nice here. She says, "The air changes right now, it's changed, all right? So we're roasting. But anyway, uh, in the fall, everything changes. The weather changes, the leaves change, not here, but you know, those of you have heard about it, leaves change somewhere. And uh, it, it, it's a fun time as we get prepared for, for the Jewish holidays. The Jewish holidays actually start tomorrow night, Sunday night, at sundown. All Jewish holidays start the night before at sundown. It's biblical. There was evening, there was morning the first day. God always tells us in the holidays, you begin the night before at sundown. All Jewish holidays start the night before. Rosh Hashanah, first day is Monday, so therefore you think. It's Sunday night. That's when we begin. So we're going to talk about Rosh Hashanah tomorrow night, all about the Jewish holiday. And, and people get curious, even though I, I tell you things year after year, people get curious. What are the Jewish holidays really all about? What is Rosh Hashanah about? What, and I like to sum things up, you know, in either one word, a little phrase, a little sentence, just so you can remember. I like you to go out and be able to tell the world, nobody, nobody knows about the Jewish holidays, though they think they do. Jewish people don't know about it. They sit down, they eat, they have their meals, but they don't know about it. But I want you to know and be able to reflect on all the Jewish holidays. That's why we focus in on them. Plus, we're Messianic Jews and Gentiles, so our focus is different. We we have similar beliefs to many uh, other congregations, but we are Messianic. Jews and Gentiles. So we have a little different focus. So what I'd like you to do, you might get out your outlines right now, and I want to I summarize if I can. You might want it. You don't have to take it. I'm going to summarize in a sentence if I can each Jewish holiday. Each Jewish holiday. This is really, really short. This is a little intro. I just want you to get it. You might not get it. Talk to me afterwards. I won't repeat too much. But each Jewish holiday does have a special meaning. You have to remember, this is not just, let's have a party Leviticus 23 was given by God for a reason. The holidays were given for a reason. A couple weeks ago, I told you all the holidays. But each holiday was given. And God takes us systematically, chronologically, throughout the world. History, for instance, I said. First holiday, really the first holiday of the first Jewish month. The beginning of the new year is not tomorrow night. But it's actually in April. And that first holiday is Passover. Summarizing Passover... I've told you in one word. Can anyone shout it out, the one word the Passover should tell you about? Thank you. Very good. Good. Write this down if you like. God has redeemed man from the slavery of sin. That's what Passover is really all about. God has redeemed man from the slavery of Egypt, darkness, sin, whatever you want. Passover. He redeemed us. He purchased. He bought us price was the Passover, the blood of the Passover lamb. Don't write all this. The price was the Passover lamb's blood, which was really a picture of Messiah's. Second Jewish holiday on the list right after that was the holiday of first fruits. And no one has any idea what that Jewish holiday is. Jewish people, Christians, nobody knows. But there is a very, very important holiday called first fruits. It takes place three days after Passover. It was the Jewish agricultural holiday uh, first fruits. Jewish people took the beginning of the, uh, the barley harvest. And they made some loaves. They waved it before God. They thanked God for the blessings yet to come. It was good. It was a nice start. But we know this is just the beginning. It's just the first fruits. There's going to be a great harvest in seven weeks in Israel. Yeah, but the Bible teaches the real fulfillment of first fruits is not just the first fruits, the promise of the harvest to come. It's the promise of Messiah. And so I summarize First Fruits as, Messiah has been resurrected and so will we. That's the real fulfillment of First Fruits. Yeshua has been resurrected and there's a promise that someday I'm going up too. Third of the Jewish holidays is a Jewish holiday called Shavuot. Shav, S-H-A-V Shavu U-O-T Shavuot. Or as some people know Pentecost. It would take place seven weeks after the first fruits. It was also, they gathered the barley and the wheat harvest. It was an agricultural thanksgiving for the Jewish people. This holiday spoke of God giving. Thanksgiving, God gave. What did he do on this holiday? He gave the Jewish people the law. He gave the world the Holy Spirit 2,000 years ago. He gave the world the Spirit. So I like to summarize Shavuot or Pentecost like this. God gave his law and Spirit so we may obey him. That's really, you could, you know, tweak the words here and there. The next Jewish holiday is Rosh Hashanah. I'll give you that in a minute. Not yet, okay. After Rosh Hashanah, we get to the Jewish holiday of Yom Kippur. And everyone thinks of atonement. I like to think Yom Kippur is cleansing. Because that's what God promised Israel. He would cleanse them. That's what he did on Yom Kippur. We'll learn about that in 11 days. But cleanse them. Yom Kippur speaks that God did cleanse and will cleanse the nation of Israel in the future. That's Yom Kippur in a nutshell. You can argue a little bit with me. But God did and will cleanse his people from sin. Then the last of the Jewish holidays is a holiday called Sukkot that we'll do in a few weeks And that means Sukkot, little tabernacle, little dwelling place. And God was basically saying, I want to live with you. I want to live with my people. So, God did and will dwell with his people. He dwelt with his people in the wilderness, and he will dwell with us for all eternity. Then we get to Rosh Hashanah. Rosh, head, Hashanah, the year, head of the year. Begins tomorrow night. It's... It's a fun, it's a wonderful Jewish holiday. But if you look up in Leviticus, there's not much said about it. But, there, but throughout the Bible, you can find a number of references to it. The only thing you see in Leviticus is God said on the seventh month, of the first of the month, sound the trumpet. It's a holiday of trumpets. But it really symbolizes, if you can, gathering together his people. When the trumpet sounds... God regathers. So when you think of Rosh Hashanah, you might uh, want to, this is what the way I summarize Rosh Hashanah in a lot of different ways. God gathered, actually, no, not yet, okay. God gathered and will gather his people to himself. God brought the Jewish people out of Egypt, gathered them together for a purpose, for a reason. God in the future will sound the trumpet, everyone. Hasn't sounded yet although we see the people flocking back to the nation of Israel from all over the world, God will sound the trumpet in the future and he will gather his people, as he promised, back to the land of Israel. So God gathered, he did, he will gather his people to himself. At this time of the year, Rosh Hashanah, tomorrow night, sundown, all over the world, the shofar will blast. Hopefully, Ed, will blast that trumpet tomorrow night. You're going to be blowing it. OK, OK, He's going to make it go. OK. So we're going to sound the trumpet. We sound the trumpet all over the world tomorrow. Wherever there's a Jewish person, tomorrow night they're sounding the trumpet. And as soon as you hear the trumpet, there'. I wonder who, I don't think you can it, but I wonder who blows the trumpet the longest. That might be interesting. But anyway, uh, a Guinness thing, you know, what is the longest trumpet blast of all time? Might be in the future when God blasts it himself. But the trumpet will blast, and it signifies many things. I've seen articles that give you 10, 11, 12 different purposes of the blasts of the trumpet. And the trumpet does signify many things. But first, above all things, the trumpet blast signifies Rosh Hashanah. And those of you who don't know, it blasts tomorrow night, and 10 days later, it closes with another blast on the holiday, the close of Yom Kippur. It's the blasting of the trumpets. So, we sound the trumpet. Why? Many different reasons. Let me today touch on a couple, okay? Fill this in if you have your outlines. Sounding the shofar, The shofar is the trumpet. Sounding the shofar means a couple things for sure. One, God remembered us. Now the reason, listen carefully to this. I say everything very carefully here. The reason I say God remembered us is because we're not going to look at it tonight, tomorrow night. Today, tomorrow night, we'll look at it. It tells us in the book of Numbers that you shall sound the trumpet so that God in heaven will hear, as if he can't hear. God in heaven will hear, and he will remember you. So when we sound the trumpet tomorrow night, one thing we're going to mention here is God remembered all of us. He always remembers us. We'll get to that. Second reason, you have it up there. God remembered man. God, it says in the scriptures, we're going to look at it today, Then, when the trumpet will blast sometime in the future, God will regather together, gather his people together. That's the real meaning of Rosh Hashanah. When you think of one word, think of gathering, think of regathering. God will gather together his people. I always refer to two groups of people. The Jewish people, he will regather them. Where? Israel. And he will regather probably another group of people. Jew and Gentile in the body of Messiah, believers. He will gather them together. So this trumpet signifies at least God remembering us, God gathering together us, and what did I write down here? Okay, let me just, oh, okay, good, The trumpet blasts, and it calls you to turn back to God. Now, I believe we should always be turning back to God all the time, every morning, every day, when we confess sin and turn to God, but this trumpet blast should call you to get serious this should cause you to reexamine your life. This trumpet should, blast should, just like most people in America, well, all over the world, on January first, reevaluate their lives at least until January second. But most of us should we re- we should rethink. We we should examine. This is what God wants us to do when the trumpet blasts. Start asking yourself some serious questions. And though I put the word here, repent. A lot of people don't like the word repent. We'll deal with it. Okay, follow along now, okay, if we can. We're going to try to deal with those things if we can. First, all mankind is called, fill it in, to repent. Now, I know growing up, maybe some of you don't like that word repent. I, you know, I'm not thrilled with the word repent. To me, it signifies mm, crazy people, lunatics. On the streets of New York or throughout the world with sandwich boards telling us the whole world's gonna, it's come to an end, doomed, repent, turn back. And so, so we, we write these people off. So maybe I shouldn't, in good conscience, even put re- repent. But I wanna give you a biblical perspective because the word repentance truly is a good word, even though I don't know if I can change it for you. But the word repentance, and I always describe it it's like this everyone, if you wanna know what, repentance is. Here it is. Everyone, you got to see me. Otherwise, you won't learn because I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to define repentance. Here it is, everyone. Okay, got it? It means to turn. It means to change. That's what repentance means. All mankind, all mankind is called to repentance. Let me say this about that. This is truly one of the top messages in all the Bible. It really is. Our congregation's name, Shuva, is so significant. Because God, throughout all the ages, has always told people, turn back to him. Repent. Well, now of course, there's an implication there that we've all turned away. Now, you have to realize, mankind in our own, since Adam, we're not going to go into too heavy theological things here, but since Adam, all of us have turned away. We naturally, naturally, you go in the wrong direction. Sometimes we have an arrogant spiritual attitude. Like, why can't these people get their act together? Why can't they be godly and spiritual? I get up here and always tell you, read, pray. Why can't you read and pray? Why can't you be godly people? Why can't you follow the Lord and obey him? Well, the real answer you got to give to me is because I can't. And neither can you, Larry. Nobody can. We naturally go in the wrong direction. That's who we are. That's what humans, one of our nature is. So God is always calling mankind to repent. The prophets always called Israel and the Jews to turn back. Turn back before it's too late. Turn back to God. Yeshua, he told all the people, turn back to God. The word repentance is a great word. And we need to always think about the need to turn back to God repentance is a good word. Shuvah, that's what we are. We are calling our people back to relationship with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through Yeshua, the Messiah. You turn back to God through Yeshua. There's no hope without Yeshua. So follow along with me. The first thing concerning repentance, everyone, everyone look up here. Big bubble over here that I call the bubble of believers. Jew and Gentile, good and bad, all kinds of people in here in this big, big, big bubble. And this, it's a spiritual bubble. You don't see it, but it's all over the world. All those, like myself, who have put their trust in Yeshua the Messiah are part of this right bubble. There's a theological term, but you don't need to know it. There's a left bubble over here. Good and bad people. Uh, These people, uh, Jew and Gentile, uh, all kinds of people in this left bubble. Good people, but these people have never accepted Yeshua as their Messiah and Savior. So there's two basic bubbles. And so the first thing I'm saying is that we all, all of us need to turn back to God. That's what repentance means. But now I'm going to add something before that. Before we all turn back to God, the Bible teaches us also that you need to turn to each other. We don't. We naturally have animosity, anger, jealousy, murder, strife. We, we, we struggle with one another. And the Bible is very clear, starting from the law that God gave Moses that we saw in Deuteronomy. God tells us that we need to turn to each other. We need to love each other. We need to care for one another. We need to look out for each other. We, some do it better than others, but as a whole, we don't. Most of us are concerned about ourselves and how everyone else will affect us. But the first thing we need, we are called to each other. That really what I'm saying is we're called to turn to one another. I didn't say turn to God yet. First here, A, we're called to each other. Man to turn to man. God writes in the law to Moses. We looked at this a couple weeks ago. Don't hate your fellow man. Well, you say, that's okay. I don't hate him. I don't care about him. Leave him alone. Get him away from me. You hate him. If you don't care about him, it's bad. You know, you don't care, leave me alone. He's going to mind his own business. I'll mind my own business. You hate him. God says don't murder, but he really means don't hate in your heart. Care for him. That's the, the feeling in the law. God is saying don't hate him. Actually, God tells us in the law, and Yeshua tells us later, 2,000 years later, 1,500 years later, we are to love our neighbor as ourself, not just your family. Not just your friends, not just, they're hard enough to love, but not just your family, friends, and your neighbors. God has the nerve to tell me to love my enemies. I don't want to. They're my enemies, they're out for my bad. God says, love your enemies. That's a tough one. You see, I do have to tell you this God always asks you and me to do the impossible. He really does. Everything God asked you to do is impossible. Well, then how do I do it? His spirit lives in you, and you can do it if you turn to him and ask for his help. So God tells us, don't Don't, you know, uh, don't, be, don't steal from your brother. It doesn't mean don't steal. It means look out for his well-being. Give. Get, let him give. Be happy for what he has. Don't be jealous. Respect your fellow man. Even though you don't like his style and personality, respect him. Don't covet what he has. Boy, I could do a whole thing. That's all we do—we covet. I want what you have. We have to be careful. Don't covet. Don't uh, don't bear false witness. Don't make up a lie, a sin, a gossip about someone. It's so easy, isn't it? There's so much to say about each other. That's true. We don't even we don't go there. We even say what's well, not true. It's incredible. Don't sin. Don't gossip about each other. Refuse to listen to the comment. Be nice. As soon as someone starts talking about someone else, I'm sorry. I I love you. I just don't want to hear it. They'll stop. They'll be shocked. Then they'll start talking about you. But anyway. (laughs) Don't bear with Don't be jealous. Love your neighbor as yourself. How many times do I have to forgive this person? Who sins against me? Tell me how many? How many times, folks? Yeah, you want to be literal? Seventy times seven. Okay, only four hundred ninety, really. Okay, but who's counting? Okay. Follow along here. This is our attitude. This is our heart as believers toward our fellow man. Yeshua says, "A new commandment I give to you: that you love each other." You're sure you expect too much. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you follow me by the love which you have for another. You know, my, you're my disciples. If you have love for each other, I love Galatians chapter six. I, I love some of these verses, brethren. Even if anyone is caught in a sin, a trespass, if you got someone, you who are spiritual and godly, who follow God, you who are really care right, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness each one looking to yourself. Be careful. Don't judge. Be careful. You're doing the same things. Where did I say? I'm just trying to think. Was it this morning, friend? I said, everyone's a hypocrite. I think I said that. I said, just like me. Anyway, but we're all hypocrites. Don't judge your fellow man, but look out for him. Care for him so that you might not fall into the same temptation. Here's the the key. Bear each other's burdens. Look out for each other. Turn to one another to help each other. Burden each other's burdens. Therefore, fulfill the law of the Messiah. This is what he's saying. Look out for your neighbor. Repent. Turn back to him. Forgive him. Care for him. Be reconciled with your brother. But I don't want to. I don't like him. Let's move on. Galatians 6, 9. Don't lose heart in doing good for people. We do. For in due time, you'll reap. God will bless you if you don't grow weary in doing it. So then while we have the opportunity, as long as we have the opportunity, turn to each other. You got the opportunity. It's the time to turn. Let us do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of faith. I'm sorry, those of you who are not believers. We're supposed to turn to each other and help each other, especially believers. Especially the believers. It's a special family that we have. And we read, Romans, follow along, chapter 12. Look out for each other, care for each other all the time. Romans chapter 12, after God says to yield your lives, your heart, your body to him. After you understand the blessings of God, what he's done for you. In 11 chapters of Romans chapter 12, he tells us how to be, act toward each other. He says, be devoted to each other in brotherly love. Like your family, like your brother, like your sister, like your family. I remember growing up as a little kid, just a little kid. Down the block, there's this one family. And they had five brothers and sisters. Five brothers and sisters. And I remember, you know, some of them were my age. Two of them were my age. One was a little older. The rest were a little younger. But I just remember, they fought all the time. They, they couldn't stand each other. But if you dared to get in a fight with one of them, you were going to have a fight with five of them. Because they were brothers and they stood by each other. That's what we're supposed to do. Turn to each other. Don't look out for the bad, look out for the good. You hear of good news about somebody else, rejoice and give thanks for that person. Don't say they don't deserve it, they stink. I'm the one who deserves it, Lord. Give preference to each other in honor, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Say the Lord asks you to do impossible things. Bless those, bless and do not curse. Never pay back evil to anyone. Never pay back evil to, to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, this is, we hold on to that if possible, but really go the length. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Do not overcome, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans 14. Therefore, do not judge each other. Uh, do not judge anyone anymore, but rather determine this. Don't make your brother stumble Don't rejoice when he stumbles. Turn back to him. Romans 15, 1. We, uh, now we who ought, uh, we are strong ought to bear each other's weaknesses. Those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us are to please his neighbor for his good to his advocate. That's what we are supposed to do. Look out for each other's welfare. Turn to each other for help. But then, you know, we have to be careful. We do wrong, and we are supposed to repent and change from our own behavior. There's a verse that really speaks to me in Matthew chapter 5. This speaks about what we are supposed to do when you know you've done something wrong, when you've hurt another person. This is what we are supposed to do. In fact, I was challenged recently in the last two, three years, somebody challenged me that I had two enemies in the ministry. I know I'm up here. I'm not supposed to say I have any enemies, but I did. There was two people in the ministry serving the Lord, godly people doing what's right. And I didn't like them and they didn't like me and we stayed far away from each other. But anyway, some people challenged me and they said, that's not right. You got to change and turn and be reconciled to them. I said, but I don't like what they believe. And the Lord says, well, I don't like what you believe. I said, well, I thought I believed everything right. He goes, you don't. I think I do, but I don't. So we look for the common things. And then I I read this verse for all of us. It says, therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar, you know what that means? If you're talking to the Lord, if you're praying to the Lord, if you're fellowshipping with God, if you have a relationship with God, you're alone. That's a spiritual moment. If you're with God, the altar. And there it crosses your mind that your brother has something against you. Listen carefully. Everyone has something against everybody. You all have something against me. I'm glad I don't remember it because then I don't have to go to all of you at all the same time. But listen, if you're there, remember, you're talking to God and God reminds you that someone has something against you because you hurt them. What are you supposed to do? Stop praying. You ever hear me say that? Stop praying. Stop fellowshipping with the Lord. That's what it says here. Now, come on. It says, if you have remembered something something against you, leave your offering there before the altar. Go! First, be reconciled to your brother. Turn to your brother. And then then come back to me, and I'll talk to you. You know, your brother has something against you. It's time to reconcile. Proverbs puts it this way. If you have been snared with the words of your mouth... You get up here and speak for 45 minutes. I know you wish I only spoke for 45 minutes. But if you speak for a certain amount of time, you say wrong things. You talk to people all the time, you say wrong things. What it's really meaning, if you hurt somebody and do something wrong, what should I do? If you've been caught with the words of your mouth, you've been caught with the words of your mouth, do this then, my son. Deliver yourself. Since you have come into the hand of your neighbor, go, listen carefully, go humble yourself and importune. I never use that word in my life. You ever use that? Hey, let me, raise your hand. Anyone ever use the word importune? That's good, good, good. Importune. I had to look it up. I thought I knew what it meant. But anyway, go importune your neighbor? Pester. don't let go. Give no sleep to your eyes, nor slumber to your eyes. It's, make things right with him. Now, I remember back in Jersey, when I, I hate, my wife will not be happy. When I first started ministry in in Brooklyn, I was a young man, rash. I really, I think I was saved. But anyway, had a congregation. And I got mad at someone, and I kicked him out of our building. Yeah, he, he was wrong. I kicked him out of the building. I didn't kick him out of the building. I used my two hands, and I threw him out of the building. I threw him, literally. And now the question is, can I ever make things right with him? Well, let me tell you something. Over the years, I importuned myself toward him. I would not let go until he became a very, very, very good friend of mine who is a worker in Chosen People, and he works under me in California. Not here, so you're safe. Anyway, but I importuned myself That's what you're supposed to do, importune yourself. I remember my friend, actually, Microdonic, you know him, telling me that I offended somebody else in our congregation. And I remembered I offended him, and I said wrong to him. And so he became my enemy. So I went to him and apologized. And my friend told me, you apologized, but you didn't apologize. I said, what do you mean? He didn't use the word, but what he was really telling me is, you must importune yourself. So I said, He's gonna become my good friend. And I importuned myself and I would not let him go. And I continued to apologize. He said, That's enough. Nah, no, it wasn't. And I had to apologize. Then I had to do something else for him. And then I had to do something else for him. Then I had to apologize again until he will stand up for me today and say I'm, he, he loves me. You gotta importune yourself. That's what it means to turn to each other, folks. Care for each other. Love one another. We, Rosh Hashanah, Forgive me. We are supposed to turn to God. We're not, it doesn't even say turn to man, but we should turn to man. But let's follow along with me. Here we go. There we go. You're in trouble now, right? B, we are to turn to God. I first said we we're to turn to each other. Second, we're supposed to turn to God. Everyone look up here. Here's the bubble on the left of non-believers. Here's the bubble on the right of believers. Both groups are to turn to God. That's what it means. Repent. This group of non-believers, you need to turn to God. The Bible teaches us, follow along with me. The non-believers, the whole world of non-believers is called to turn back to God. The Bible says even if you're a good person, you're a nice person, you've turned away from God. We see it in all of Scripture that what I told you before, everyone turns from God. The nation of Israel, God's special, special possession, turned away from God. They'd always turned away from God. As soon as they were they were they were called by God, they were in Egypt, they were not turning to God. God brought them out with a mighty hand. They got down into Mount Sinai and God gave them his law, they turned away from God. They got in the wilderness for 40 years. Do you know the Bible says they carried idols in the wilderness. They turned away from God there. Israel throughout all their history, they get into the land, the period of the they turned away from God. Then they got a king by the name of Solomon. David, I'm sorry, uh, thank you. Saul, David, and Solomon. And you know, they all turned away from God, even then. Even David, before he was king, had idols. Everybody turned away from God. Then the period of the kings, they turned away from God. Then the period of the, the prophets, they turned away. Everyone, Israel turned away from God. What is the message, everybody, of the Bible? You say it, tell me. Turn back to God. That's it, folks. Everyone. Holiday of Rosh Hashanah, the trumpet blasts. Follow along. I love God's words uh, through Ezekiel. God's speaking to Israel here. Do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked? For some reason, we think that God's pleased. You turn away from him, God's pleased. I'll zap him. He's out of here. Goodbye. God doesn't love that. He wants us to turn to him. Rather than that, that he should turn from his ways and live. Repent. Turn back to God and you will enjoy life. Turn back to God and you will experience blessings and peace. And you'll experience the meaning of life if we only turn to God. This is a message the world doesn't want to hear. It really doesn't. The answer to the world is to turn to God. God says to Israel, he says, For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord. Therefore, repent, turn back to me, and experience true life. Ezekiel thirty three eleven say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that he, the wicked turn from his ways, listen to God crying out to the world and live, turn back, turn back, please, oh, what, from your evil ways, why then will you die, O oh, house of Israel? God had always said to his people, says to us, said to Israel, if you turn to me, you will experience the blessings of God. Some of our lives are horrible and miserable miserable and out of control. We need simple. Larry, you teach such a silly, simple, backward, childish message. Yeah, I do. Turn to God. That's the answer. That's what God told Israel. Turn to God. But that's not just Israel. The whole world is to turn to God. Everybody look up here. I'm talking to the people in the left bubble who do not believe in Messiah. You need to turn to God. And the way you turn to God is listen to God speak to us. Follow along here. Matthew chapter 11, the great comforting words of the Messiah himself. Come to me, everyone who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. They're either arrogant words or Yeshua is crazy. He's offering something that only he can offer. The world is looking. I'll tell you what the world, I'll tell you what they're looking for in Yemen and throughout all the world and all Afghanistan and Iraq and Iran. I'll tell you what they're all looking for. They're looking for inner peace. They're looking for the hand of God to touch their hearts because they can't. Though the world is at war right now, we're all at war unless you turn back to God. The unsaved world is at war with himself, with his fellow man, until you turn back to God. They're at war. Yeshua comes and he says, I'm the one who can bring peace. God says this in the Old Testament. Look to me. I love this. Listen to the comparison. You've got to see this. God in heaven speaks. Look to me, all the ends of the earth, and you will be saved. Aren't they pretty words? God says, look to me, and I will save you. Then you get somebody 2,000 years ago, a man walking in the land of Israel, looked like a common, ordinary, everyday man, looks at everybody and he says, come to me and I will give you rest. What was that man saying? He's saying he's the God of the universe. Hard to imagine. That's what Yeshua was saying. Come to me. I'm the one who's going to give you inner peace. I'm the one who's going to give you rest. Last week, A friend of ours in the ministry passed away. Some of you know, some of you didn't. A guy who's been doing the ministry for 40 years. Jan Moskowitz from Jews for Jesus. My age, actually. I saw in his uh, death thing, uh, 1948, 2012. I said, oh, that's me. Jan slipped on the subway steps in Grand Central Station, and he smashed his head. The paramedics were taking him off to the hospital. He was talking to them. He was talking to his wife. His brain filled up with blood. The doctors told his family, "There's nothing we can do for him. He's gone." I went to his funeral last Friday. Jan was gone. Now, if you read on the website, if you go to the Jews for Jesus website, you read Jan's story. There's there's something. I, I, I'm not smiling because he. I'm smiling because he's with the Lord and he's happy. But we lost a faithful minister of the Lord. Jam was faithful. He loved the Lord, did some great things. But I'm smiling because he gives his testimony. And Beth was telling me this week, when you read his testimony, you realize how crazy this guy was. He was nuts. He did drugs. He committed immorality. He partied. But with people that were sick and demented and wicked and crazy, people like Mitch Glazer, All the people that you see in the ministry today, he was doing, and I get such a kick out of this because all these hippies from the 60s and the 70s that were all involved with such nonsense and sin and wickedness, they all turned to the Lord. And God gave them peace and changed their lives. God changed the hearts of people who turned to him, doctors, lawyers, doesn't matter who it is, no matter what our occupations are, businessmen, I always tell, we always joke, A friend and I back in Brooklyn, one day someone came into our congregation. And I've told you before, I think, a guy named Big Al. Big Al came into our congregation. And I'm telling you, I was scared of Big Al. Big Al came in, giant cigar. A lot of jewelry. A girl on each arm. Big Al was part, I don't know, the mafia or what. But Big Al came in. And then he asked to meet with me in my office for a few times. And big out one day, started crying. The tears came down. And he turned to God. And he accepted his Messiah. When I read these things, come to me. I think of these people. Look what Yeshua said. Yeshua says in John 7, 37, On the last day of the day of the great feast, which we'll learn about next week in Sukkot, there are two weeks, Yeshua stood and cried out, If anybody's thirsty, come to me and drink. How could this man say this? God says it. And Yeshua says, If you're thirsty for life and meaning and purpose, come to me. It's all in me. In Yeshua. I didn't believe it. I didn't want to. January 14th, 1972, I didn't want that. January 15th, 1972, I went to him and I was quenched my thirst. Look what Yeshua says. Yeshua said to them, chapter 6, I'm the bread of life. I give you bread. I give you life. I give you meaning. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. All that the Father uh, gives me I, uh, will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will not cast out. For this is the will of my Father that everyone who beholds the Son, who looks on Yeshua, and accepts him and believes in him. These people have eternal life. I myself will raise you up on the last day. I look forward to that day when he will raise me up. Truly I say to you, who he, he who believes has eternal life. Three very important words. Follow along carefully. For God so loved the whole world. Everyone left left world a bubble. Non-believers. God loved this world so much that he gave his only unique son. That whoever believes, whoever calls on him, whoever accepts him, puts their trust in him, they shall not perish, but he have eternal life. For God did not send Yeshua, his son, into the world to judge us all. You see, when I tell you that if you accept Yeshua, you have eternal life, people say, you're judging me. I'm not judging anybody. Listen to what he says. God didn't send Yeshua to judge you, but the world would be saved. Wait a second. God sent Yeshua to the world, so I'd be saved? You're not judging me? No, you're already judged. It's already over. You didn't even know it, did you? You're already judged, according to the Scriptures. And it says, for God didn't send His Son into the world uh, to judge the world, but to save Him. He who believes, he who believes is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. We're all non-believers called to turn back to God. Everyone look up here. I let you go just now, believers on the right. You've accepted the Lord. You to turn back to God, too. Did you know that? Yes. All of us have to turn back to God. You, believers, all us, most of us in this room, you need to turn back to God. Now, let me tell you something. Let me tell you a normal thing when I grew up and I got saved in 1972 and probably still going on today. This is the normal habit. Of many, many, many people. They're in this left bubble, and they pray and ask Yeshua to come into their heart. They realize they're lost in sin. They believe Yeshua died for me. They accept Yeshua into their heart, and they're saved. And they move over to this bubble, and they're rejoicing. They're so happy. Ah, I'm saved from my sin. I'm forgiven. My whole life's changed. It's great. This is what happened to me and many people in my neighborhood. And we're all praising the Lord. And we're reading the Bible. And we're going to Bible studies. And we're having a great time. And it lasted for a year or two. And then, it wasn't so big and important anymore. And then we started falling away and stopped reading the Bible. And stopped praying. And stopped going to Bible studies. Stopped going to services. And we were still saved, but we fell back into sin. The normal pattern for believers is to what we call back Slide, you go backwards. Are you saved? Yes, you're still stay saved. You can't lose true salvation once you have it. God gives it to you as a gift, you have eternal life. It's only for eternity, though. So He gives you eternal life, but you fall away. Now, there's other believers that have not fallen away, but you just don't live the life. You don't read, you don't pray. You are what I call immature, you're babies. You're weak. You're infants. This whole group of those who backslide, this whole group who are weak and have turned away and come here for a nice good fix every Saturday and get a little worship, a little dance, a little screaming from me, and, and you go out and you're fixed. And then you go and live like the devil. You don't, pick, you don't have a Bible. You don't even know where one is. You haven't prayed for who knows how long, except for maybe you say thanks for the food, and whatever. You don't know anything. This group must turn back to God. God is screaming, turn back, turn back. Believers, why will you live a miserable life? God's screaming at you. We're all to repent, and God says it here. He says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. If we admit, if we agree with God to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, God will take... I've often said, Getting back in fellowship with God is a, just a prayer away. It really is. It's a prayer away. The best picture in the Bible, we don't have to look at all the verses. I have I have a bunch of them, but we don't have to look at the other verses. But the best picture in the Bible is two brothers, two brothers with their father. The father has two brothers. The father is very, very well-to-do. And the one brother is a rebel. He's just a rebel, and he wants his father's inheritance, and he wants to go out and party it up. He wants to leave and get out of this house. So he says, Dad, listen, I don't want to wait till you're dead. Give me the money now. Flavery's paraphrase, okay? It's good that I didn't write the Bible. But, Dad, give me the money now. I don't want to wait any longer. And so the father, after a while, says, ah, listen, I can't let. Hey, he's going on and on. Too All right, I'll give him the money now. Okay, the other, the other son stays with the father and works faithfully. This one son gave me all the money, gets all this money. He goes off, and he's counting his money. He's great. great. He goes out into the world, and he starts drinking and living it up and living immorally and living in great sin. And, and the money's going quicker than he thought. And finally, it's disappeared, and he has no job, and it's bad times. And so he starts working with pigs. And then he sees the pigs got food, and he doesn't even have food. He goes, well, this is, life is horrible. My life is over. It's a ruin. And he says, I don't know what to do. He says, ah, God, i got it. I've been so dumb. My father, who's so wealthy, he's got servants that are well off, 10 times better than me. I need to admit I was wrong, that I've sinned against heaven and earth and my father. And I got to go back to tell dad, you were right, I was wrong all along. Would you forgive me and make me like a slave? Make me a nothing. I don't deserve anything. Sounds good. And he starts going back. And the Bible says over here was his father. You know what his father was doing every day? Is he coming back yet? Oh, is he coming back yet? Not yet. Then all of a sudden, my son is coming back. The father's like this. His arms are open, and the son doesn't quite get it, but he runs up, falls on his father. Father, I've sinned against you in heaven and earth. Could you possibly forget? It's a prayer away, folks, believers, of repentance, admitting God, and he says, bring out the best. You're a prayer away. That's what God wants from all of us, repentance, turning back to him. It's one of my favorite sections, the prodigal son. King David did the same thing. David had a great relationship with God. The first half of David's life, he had the mightiest touch. Everything he touched turned to gold. Every army he fought, he won. Every part of the land, every land he conquered, everything he touched, all his enemies were defeated. And then David sinned greatly. David did sin greatly. He committed murder. He committed adultery. And David broke fellowship with God and off he went. And David turned back to God. A confession. Psalm 32, verse 5. We read David says, I acknowledge my sin to you, my iniquity I did not hide. I admit it. I confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave me. You forgave the guilt of my sin. Psalm 51 is David's confession before God Wash me, Lord, from my sin. Cleanse me from my iniquity, for I know my transgressions, my sins ever before me. Purify me, clean me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, I'll be whiter than snow. Create a new heart in me. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation. Then I can teach people. David confessed. Joshua told the people of Israel. His farewell speech. You have to understand, first five books... Is Moses' life with the Jewish people in the wilderness? Moses dies off. Book of Joshua. Joshua takes over, brings the Jewish people into the land of, of Israel. He conquers the land of Israel. At the end of Joshua, Joshua's about to die. And he gives a great sermon. Joshua 24. You know what Joshua says to the Jewish people? He says, Listen, you remember your father Abraham? Well, his father, Terah, worshipped idols. And he gives them a history. Joshua chapter 24. Great book, chapter. Joshua says, Your father. Abraham's father, Terah, they worshipped idols. Abraham probably worshipped idols in the land of Ur of the Chaldees. Then Abraham came to the land of Israel, and he had Isaac and Jacob. And the Jewish people went down into Egypt, he said. And you know what the Jewish people did, Joshua says? In Egypt, they worshipped idols. Then they came out of Egypt. And what did they do? They worshipped idols. Then they went up on the other side of the Jordan and Jordan, and what did they do? Everyone. They worshiped idols. Then they came into the land of Israel. They got new idols in the land of Israel. And Joshua tells the people very simply. Everyone, we should know it. Therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in, in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the, the river in Egypt. They served gods in Egypt. But serve the Lord. If it's disagreeable in your sight, if you don't agree with me, if you don't agree with me today, it's fine. If it's disagreeable in sight, choose today for yourselves whom you will serve. Whether you will serve the gods of your fathers served, which were beyond the river, Jordan and and the other lands, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Turn to God. Listen carefully. The trumpet blasts, we are turned to each other. The trumpet blasts, we are all to turn to God. The trumpet blasts, though, here, and it means God remembered us. Follow along. Fill it in. God has remembered all mankind. Before we realize God remembered us, you and I are called to remember God. That's the key to spiritual growth, folks. It really is. Every Thanksgiving, I talk about it. You and I have to thank God and remember what he has done for us. Some of my greatest spiritual moments, actually, I think I told my wife this morning I had one. All right. I came up and we're getting ready. I said, Fran, I had a spiritual moment this morning. You know what he did? He made me think back of what he gave me. And I just recall all that God has given me, where I came from, what he's done. The key to spiritual growth, before I realize that God has remembered me, I have to remember God. Now that's not what the trumpet signifies. The trumpet means God remembered me. I'm dealing with this first. You are to remember God. Look what he says, and we've looked at it, some of them. Deuteronomy 4. Only give heed to yourself, God says. Listen to yourself. Give heed. Keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget The things which your eyes saw. What did Israel see? They saw the miracles in the land of Egypt. They saw the Red Sea open up. They saw the plagues, the Red Sea open up. They saw the cloud. They saw the fire. They saw the bread. They saw the water. They saw God take care of them. Forty years in the wilderness. They saw the clothes never wore out. They saw the shoes never wore out. God blessed them. Deuteronomy 6. Then watch yourself and do not forget. Believers, don't forget. Don't focus what you don't have. Focus on what you do have. Do not forget the Lord who brought you from slavery, from darkness, from evil, from drugs, from whatever. Out of the house of slavery. God set you free. Remember. Deuteronomy 8. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his Don't forget. Don't want... Deuteronomy then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord. Don't forget. Now, I said don't forget God. Two things go front and back of a coin, head and tail. First, don't forget. Two, other side, remember. That's what God does in Deuteronomy. Remember, chapter 5, verse 15. You shall remember that you were once a slave. Every time I see that, I think of Larry Feldman before January 15th, nineteen. 72. I was once a slave. I think of all my hippie friends. I think of all the people in the ministry before they were believers. I get a smile. I think of prostitutes. I think of drug addicts. I think of alcoholics. I think of all these people. That's what we were. Some of you were not. You were apparently good people. You were no good either. But anyway. Okay. Some of you are weekend pot smokers. Some of you did it all the time. Some of you were addicts. God says, remember, you're a slave. You are a pig in the mud. You are wallowing in your mire. Don't think that you are good. And God says there, remember that you were once a slave in the land of Egypt, darkness and sin in the world. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand. God did it. By an outstretched arm, therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Remember from where you came. Deuteronomy seven eighteen. You shall not be afraid of your enemies. You, will, you shall re- well remember that the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and all. Remember, God defeated your enemies. God defeated Pharaoh, the greatest army in the world at that time. God defeated the snakes and the scorpions in the wilderness. God defeated Balaam and Balak. God defeated Sihon, king of uh, Bashan, and Ah, Sihon, king of the Amorites. I forget. Ah, king of Bashan. God defeated all the enemies. As great as the enemies. God tells Joshua after this, you're going into the land of Israel, and you know who's there? Let me tell you. There's the Amorites. There's the Perizzites. There's the Hittites. There's the Hivites. There's the Jebusites. There's the Canaanites. There's the Gergesites. There's some more ites, and I can't remember anymore. I wrote them down, but I'm not going back. But all the ites. And God says, you're going into the land of Israel, and there are giants there much, much bigger than you. Please don't remember. Don't forget where you came from, and and remember that I defeat the enemy for you. Why are we so foolish? Why do we turn and not remember all that God has done for us? Be God-remembered us i told you to remember god but the trumpet means god remembered you and i just want to summarize some of these how god's remembered that here's another message of the bible god remembered us in our estate you think as a young immature mindless teenage boy early 20s you think i had my mind on him the last thing in the world I had my mind I don't even want to tell you what I had my mind on. It's too embarrassing and I can't even say it. What I had my mind on. God looked at me running around like a pinball. Like a man who had no mind. I, jo- I used to joke with my, uh, with my daughters that young men, basically young little boys, have scrambled eggs for brains. And it's like we, we don't think. We're just running all around. And that's what we are as adults too. And in my state, God looked at me and he went, ay, ay yay. This is what I got to pick. I looked at you and he says, oh, he's no better either. And in our state, God looked down and God remembered you. Adam blew it. And God looked and remembered Adam and said, I'm going to do something for Adam. Then all of mankind sinned and turned away from God, and God sent a flood. And then he says to one guy, he says, yeah, build a boat. So he said, all right, he builds a boat. And it takes him 120 years, I think, to build the boat. And then he, it's a very drawn-out story in Genesis 6, 7, and 8, and he builds the boat, and he goes on, and everyone makes fun, and he finally builds the boat. And then he says, now get the animals two by two and two and two, and sevens for the clean, and on and on. And he, get all the animals on. I said, okay, I've got the story, Lord. And he says, bring them on the boat. All right, all right, brings them on the boat. Gets him on the boat and it starts to rain. And God says, it rains a lot. And I said, Good, it's raining and raining. And God says, not only is it raining, but it's raining for every day and night. And it's raining for 40, years, 40 days and it keeps raining and raining. And then it tells us. And then the floods come. Oh, floods come up. Rain comes down and everything's being flooded. And then it says, and you see Noah floating on the water and he's floating there for five, six, seven, eight months. And he like, well, what's going to go on? In Genesis chapter eight, verse one. I love the words. But God, Remembered Noah. He never forgets. In the midst of tragedy, God remembered. The blast of the trumpet. God remembered you. The great story, the Jewish people have sinned. God takes them out of the land of Israel in 586. Nebuchadnezzar comes and Nebuchadnezzar destroys the land and destroys the temple and destroys the priests and the, the prophets and takes the people captive. And Nebuchadnezzar takes them out of Israel and takes them to a foreign land in Babylon. And there they are 70 years and the Jewish people are there and they remember that when they were in Jerusalem and it was a, a praise in all the earth and they remember all the, the blessings they had in Israel. And here they're in Babylon for 70 years, in, so it's a foreign land in the, under the regime of a Hitler. And then, all of a sudden, God sends them a prophet. The prophet's name is Zechariah. You know what Zechariah means? God remembers. He never forgets his people. God's always remembered. You sound the trumpet, folks. We're to turn, but God remembered us. Look Look at God remembered. I want you to turn to Isaiah 53. We know it. God remembered all of us. Isaiah 53, all mankind. Follow these words that we read so often. Isaiah 53, watch. He, whoever he is, we don't know. Okay, we'll pretend we don't know. Okay. He was despised and forsaken of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs, he himself, whoever he is, bore and our sorrows. This one would carry. We ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But this one, whoever he is, would be pierced through for our transgressions. He'd be crushed for my sins. The chastening of my well-being fell upon him and by his scourging we're all healed. All of us are like sheep. We've gone astray. Each has turned to his own way. Who is this and why would he suffer? I'll tell you why. He would suffer because God remembered you. God loves you. And sent his son, the one who would be despised and rejected. God remembered us in our state. Sent the Messiah to be your substitute. To die in your place. Whoever this one is. But look why he did it. Or Follow this one. It's amazing. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of all of us to fall on him. God sent his son, and God had him crucified. He used man, but God did it. Look what it says. The Lord was pleased to crush his own son, the Messiah, putting him to grief if he would render himself a guilt offering He would render himself as a guilt offering. God remembered us. What does the trumpet mean today? One, repent. Turn back to God. All of us. Two, God remembered you all. And three, the real meaning of Passover. uh, Passover, The real meaning of Rosh Hashanah. God would regather his people. Just follow along. The land, he would regather his people to the land of Israel. God promised God made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, David, the prophets. There's coming a time in the future when the Jewish people will be gathered in the land. Messiah will be with them and there will be world peace. They'll have a great future kingdom. God promised that. And yet, God promised it through all the prophets, and yet we see the reality of what took place for 2,000 years. Our people were scattered. It was a problem. It was a puzzle it would take a miracle from God. Everyone in all the world rose up to destroy the Jewish people. I always make the list. First, there was Egypt. Then there was the period of the Judges when all the ites got them. Then there was the Assyrians and the Babylon Babylonians. And then there was Haman. And then there was Rome and Amalek and all the ites. And then the Middle Ages. And the Crusaders and the Inquis- Inquis- Inquisition, the Inquisitors and the pogroms and Hitler and the Muslims. God promised? How can this poor, persecuted, scattered nation of sheep decide, let's have a kingdom again? It's, it's not possible. How could we gather together, come from all over the world? Who's going to do this? You'd need a Messiah. You'd need a God to bring us back to the land of Israel and to the land and form our own government and to be a nation again. It's not possible. No one wants it. But God made a promise. You know what happened on that day? Uh, Isaiah eleven eleven 11. Happened on that day. The Lord will again recover the second time with his hand the remnant, his people all over the world who will remain from Assyria, Egypt, Patros, Cush, Elam, Shinar, Hamath, Russia, Europe, all over the world, from the islands of the sea, and he will gather, uh, lift up a standard for the nations. He will assemble the banished ones of Israel and will gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. God said no matter what takes place, God will bring them back into the land of Israel. That is Rosh Hashanah, gathering his people together in the land. Now, I believe God's been doing it, but there's going to be official trumpet blasts. When he will do it. And listen, it doesn't matter. I mean, it breaks my heart today the way the world's rising up against Israel. It does. The way every nation of the world it always says would turn against Israel. It breaks my heart. But they cannot get rid of Israel. They just can't do it, no matter how bad or bleak it looks. Whether we draw a red what does he say, draw a red line or not? You know, it doesn't matter. God is for Israel. He had promised thousands of years ago. That he would regather his people. Here's Rosh Hashanah, if you want to put it in the Bible. Isaiah 27. In that day, which I think is still yet in the future, maybe soon, God will start his threshing from the flowing streams of the Euphrates to the brook of Egypt. And you will be gathered up one by one, O sons of Israel. It will come about also in that day that a great trumpet will be blown. Could be the Rosh Hashanah trumpet. The blast of the trumpet you see spoken about in Leviticus 23. A trumpet will be blown in that day, and those who are scattered throughout the world, perishing from Assyria, will be ga- uh, who will be scattered from the land of Egypt. They will come and worship the Lord in the holy mountain at Jerusalem. I believe God is going to bring His people. Jeremiah says it. Look at me in Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-four, and I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you to your own land. I believe that's Rosh Hashanah. Trumpet will blast, match it up with Isaiah 27. You will live in the land and I, that I gave to your forefathers, and you will be my people, and I will be your God. The fulfillment of Rosh Hashanah is the regathering of the Jewish people to the land of Israel. The only thing missing is the return of Messiah. Now, I said Rosh Hashanah is the gathering of God's people, and I believe there's another people of God that God is going to gather at the trumpet blast. And that's what you could fill it in, B. To be united with him. Who? I think this is the body of believers. Everybody look up here. God is bringing the Jewish people back to the land of Israel. The trumpet hasn't blasted, but God's preparing for it. It'll happen soon. They're all back in the land. They're coming back. The trumpet will blast, and God will begin the end times with that. But I think at that trumpet blast, there's another group of people that I call the right bubble. Who's in the right bubble? Good and bad people. Jewish and Gentile people. All kinds of ethnic groups. Everybody's in this bubble who's accepted Yeshua. At that blast, I believe God will call us to be with him. That's what we call the rapture of the body of Messiah. Actually, in the Bible, it's called the rapture of the big right bubble. Anyway, okay. <laughs> not not call that, but anyway. Now I know the word rapture is not in the Bible, folks, just to let you know. It's really not in the Bible. The word rapture is not in the Bible. It's taken from a Latin word, rapturo, which means to be caught up. You know, let me tell you something else that's not in the Bible. The word Trinity. Did you know that? The word Trinity is not in the Bible. Yet I can prove the triune nature of God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I can prove that. So we call it a term, Trinity. There's a catching up. And old Jerome decided to call that the rapturo, the rapture. I believe, now there's different views on the rapturo. There are some say that the rapture, catching up the body of Messiah is going to happen before the day of the tribulation. Some people believe that. I won't tell you that I'm one of them. I won't ever tell you that, that I'm one of those people who believe we're going to be caught up before the tribulation. Nah. Then there are some people who think we're going to be caught up in the middle of the tribulation. Okay, they're good people. They, they're not right, but they're good people. <laughs> then there's other people that think the rapture is going to happen at the end of the tribulation. They're, they're wrong too. Nice people, love them, I don't argue about those things anymore. Never. I don't tell you my view that I think it's going to happen before the church. I never tell you my view of that. The Bible tells us he's going to gather his people to be with him. And here it is. 1 Thessalonians 4. For the Lord God himself is going to descend from heaven in the future someday with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. It could be the trumpet of Rosh Hashanah. It could be, I don't know. I don't know if this is the same trumpet as Isaiah 27. The trumpet will blast. Could be. Might not. I'm not going there. I do think Isaiah 27 trumpet is Rosh Hashanah. This one, maybe, maybe not. With the trumpet of God and the dead Messiah, believers, right bubble, Jew and Gentile, will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with him. Everybody look. Comfort each other with these words. We're going to be with him. No matter what you're going through today. If you're a believer, it'll all pass away and you will see him one day face to face. And only what you did for him will count. It pays to serve him. It's going to happen. Nah, forget it. Like that. Okay. It's going to happen. In the twinkling of an eye, when you don't expect it, 1 Corinthians, behold, I tell you something strange and crazy. It's a mystery. We'll not all die and be asleep, but we will be transformed, changed, just like that one day. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, mm, don't know, stop going in. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised. We know we'll be raised at that trumpet will be changed. For the perishable must put on imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will put on imperishable and the mortal will put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. God's going to draw his people to himself. Sounding the shofar, everyone today, fill it in. Means... Three things. One, God remembered us, the lost, the believers. Two, God gathers his people to be with him, whether it's, we know for sure it's Israel, maybe over the body of Messiah. On Rosh Hashanah, we don't know. And three, God calls us to repentance. God will and is gathering his people today who should repent, everyone up here, believers. We are all called, my friends and colleagues and people in the ministry are all called to something serious. The person we know who served the Lord so faithfully, preached the word so great, some consider was the greatest preacher in the messianic movement, was taken like that. We don't know when. Believers, it's time to repent. Turn back to Him. Nonbelievers don't wait. You just don't know when it could happen. You could slip. Not on the subway stairs because we don't have it here, but you could slip somewhere. Something could happen. If God is knocking at your heart, it's time to repent. Turn back to Him. You say, "Lord, how can I do that?" Real simple. God, I believe I've sinned against you. I believe Yeshua died for me. I now want to receive him into my heart and my life. That's you turning to him. Let's all bow for prayer. Father, thank you for the Jewish holiday of Rosh Hashanah and all the Jewish holidays. We thank you in all this, Lord, that you've taught us to turn back to each other and to you. We thank you in this Jewish holiday that you remembered us. And we thank you for your promise to the nation of Israel that you've gathered them together. You're continuing to gather them together to await the coming of their Messiah. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. We ask that someone here in this room today might say, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day I turn to my God my Savior, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, admitting I've sinned, Admitting Yeshua the Messiah died for me. And I now receive him so that I can experience life and no more thirst and no more hunger. I put my trust in him. For we ask all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen.